The following audio is from LifePoint Church, located in O'Fallon, Missouri. For more information about LifePoint Church, visit us online at thelifepointconnection.com. Well, good morning. Uh, as you know now, my name is Matt. So wanted to welcome you if it's your first time. There's a lot of uh, first-timers. We're so glad you're here, honestly. Um, it's good to have met you and see you. And if it's not your first time and you've been here second, third, multiple, maybe years uh, we're glad you came back. So we wanted to get that on the table. Um, we've been going through uh, our core values as a church. And so as you see Gospel-Centered Church, uh, we have five core values at LifePoint. So I wanted to hit on those. The first one is mission. Uh, the second is truth. Third is worship, community, and multiplication. And so those are the five things that we hold as core values at the church. And as we're going through those things, uh, we wanted to... Uh, um, just to kind of to, to explain those to you so you know kind of what you're in for as a church. Does that make sense? So I um, wanted to do a quick summary of the past week so we're all on the same page before we dive in. For those of you who, who may have missed some or those of you who, who are here for the first time, before we talk about worship today, I wanted to, to sum up mission and truth. And so three weeks ago, uh, Eric began, uh, that's Eric, by the way, that's the pastor of this church. And so He began a two-part sermon on God's mission, and so simply God's mission is for His glory. That's the whole whole, uh, idea behind this core value, is that for His mission is for His glory. And so to be a gospel-centered church means to point to God's glory, we would say, everywhere and every way. That's kind of a little thing that we've tagged. And so two weeks ago, Eric wrapped up. Uh, that's that's uh, sermon series asking us to evaluate and contemplate the things that steal our affections for Jesus. And and to be quite honest, that week, uh, what was a bit hard for me is difficult and challenging. And so uh, my prayer is that it was it was the same for you. Uh, we, we opened up to Colossians 115. And uh, that's where it says in all things that Christ may be preeminent. And so so I challenged my life group. Uh, that's part of the community here. We'll talk about that in a second. But I challenged my life group that week just to think about the things that we begin to put eminence in before Christ. And eminence means to put find worth or find worthy. And so the things that we put above Christ in our lives. And, and so that was the challenge. A little heavy. No, it was, it was good. And so, so Eric challenged us to do those things, the things that we don't trust God. And so that was the first two weeks, our first value Mission. Last week, Eric talked about truth. And so here at LifePoint, we believe that the Bible is true. Um, we believe that God is, it is God-breathed, written through man for us, and to, to reveal his character to us, and, and to give us instruction. And so we believe this is truth, and we believe that Jesus is shown through the Scriptures to be truth. And so Jesus here is truth. Let me make that clear. Jesus at LifePoint is truth. Amen? Amen? So that was last week. Jesus says, in John, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so he said it, we believe it, because it's here. So, the entire narrative about Jesus, that's the past three weeks. If you missed it, there it is. Amen? Moving forward today, talking about worship. And so, um, to understand the, uh, just a biblical, what it looks like to, to, to have a core value of worship, we're going to open up to Romans chapter 12. So as Eric said, if you have a Bible, open up to Romans 12. If you don't have a Bible, we have some in the back. You're more than welcome to to look through. Um, You can raise your hand if you don't have one. We'll get one to you. If you're using one of our Bibles, that's the page that you'll want to go to. And uh, so 
you can get there. So give you a second to get there. Romans 12, 1 and 2. When you're there, say word. All right, let's read Romans 12, 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So, so right off the bat, verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. The first question is raised, well, what is Paul appealing? And so we believe that context is key. When studying the Bible, it's important to know what you're reading and where it's coming from and why they're saying what they say. And so in chapter 12 of Romans, the context is simply chapters 1 through 11. And so what, what he's appealing is that what he's written in chapters 1 through 11, he's making a claim or a case for Christ, per se. So in chapters 1 through 11, he sets up and he explains kind of a doctrine for Christ. The word appeal literally means in the Greek to, to urge. And so what Paul is saying is, is, I'm urging you, therefore, brothers, to by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. And so he's, he's walked through these past 11 chapters. If you've never read them, we'll, we'll kind of hit some stuff later on and it'll make more sense. But he's saying that Christ is everything. Like we talked about Colossians 1.15, he is preeminent. He is, he is worthy of all. So this is the case that he's making. He says, therefore, I appeal to you. I'm urging you. I can just imagine him being like, like urging, like has this, has this feeling of just like expectation and, and intensity of like, I'm urging you to understand the mercies of God. So we read on. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. So it's pivotal that we'd recognize that by God's mercy, we get to present our bodies as sacrifices. So let's talk about sacrifice for a minute. Uh, Old Testament, Levitical law. This is what they would have been familiar with when Paul wrote this. Levitical law says that there's a thing called the Day of Atonement. Some of you may have heard of this. It's, it's once a year. They would come and they would bring sacrifice and an animal to be then sacrificed at the temple, the Holy of Holies, for the forgiveness and, and atonement of sin. So that's the old Levitical law. So here's what would happen. You would live life. You would sin. Okay. You would then take an animal to the altar. And then the high priest then would, uh, the animal, and then blood was shed for the atonement of your sin. And this would happen year after year after year and blood after blood and blood. And we'll keep it right there because we don't want to get too graphic here. So you can just imagine it's a pretty disgusting day, right, for the atonement of sin. And so it was required on this day that for the day of atonement, the sin, uh, the sacrifice would atone for the sin. And so, so my question, as I'm thinking about this, I'm like, okay, that makes sense to me. I understand. But the question is like, what would happen then if you like leave the temple and you stub your toe and you say something maybe you shouldn't say, and then you've sinned literally like moments after you've just atoned for the entire year. Right? Well, well for me, I'm like, okay. Well, then my conscience would be running rampant for the next 364 and a half days, right? I'd be like, oh, no, don't do this. So, so our conscience then has remained. So let's take a gander here. Uh, Hebrews 9. Flip your Bibles here to Hebrews 9. It's to your right. Hebrews 9, 11 through 14. I'll read it. It says... 
But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made of hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once and for all into the holy places, not by means of blood of goats or calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve a living God? Now, this is huge because, because what it says here is Jesus doesn't only purify for us for our sin, but also our conscience then is cleared. That's a big deal. We deal a lot. I don't know about you, but I deal a lot sometimes of my conscience just getting in the way of understanding that, that his mercy and his grace is enough because I, I, can, I, I tend to just think my conscience tends to combat that thought. And the Bible is clear, as we talked about our other value, truth, that it says that Jesus clears our conscience as well with his sacrifice. See, by his mercy, the good news, the gospel, we worship. So that brings us back to Romans 12. We need to clarify before we move on. That according to uh, Ephesians 2... Says that we are by nature children of wrath. How's that feel? No. It says we are by nature children of wrath who were born into a sin nature because of our forefather Adam. So again, in Genesis, Jesus creates Adam, and then not shortly after, in, in chapter three, we mess it up and sin is entered in. And so because of that, now we are born into a sin nature. The Bible says that no man is good, not one. That's Romans 3. It says we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's Romans 3.23. But Ephesians 2 says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love in which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. For by grace you have been Saved, And so, so today we need to try, when we try to think about worship, we need to try and understand the weight and reality of our sin in light of a perfect and holy God. I'll say that again. We need to understand the weight and reality of our sin that separates us in, in the light of a perfect and holy God. Now, this can be a difficult task. Your sin, my sin... I wish we were born into it separates us. And so to understand that in our heart, we need to understand that we need a savior. But the good news is this, that yet it says, yet God, he allows for a way that we can be reunited. And that's through Jesus, the gospel. We believe what Jesus is truth. Say that Jesus is truth. truth. He is the gospel. He is true. He, he stands firm. He does not waver. He says that, He never lies. So what he says is truth. So this is the gospel. Not not that anything that we could have done and nothing that we could have even thought about doing. Even it says that even our best is still filthy rags. And so even our best behavior, it's still not good enough 
to atone for our sin. It, it takes a bigger sacrifice, the blood of a perfect lamb, a sinless man, God, Jesus Christ. And so at that point, upon belief in this Jesus, then we are seen to a holy God as this thing called justified. And I don't want to get too crazy with big words today because I don't really understand a lot of things. But here's what I understand. The word justified means you're seen just as if you didn't sin. So through Jesus, through belief and confession and recognition of his sacrifice, we are seen it from God through Jesus on us as justified, just as if we didn't sin. That, my friends, is good news. It is by that mercy that he says here, I appeal to you by the mercies of God, present your bodies. It is by that mercy, that gospel, that good news. So we read on. I'm not excited or anything. Just kidding. Read on. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And so, so what this means is that worship, then, is, is a lifestyle. Again, we say everywhere and every way. That means we present our bodies, our everything to God as worship. First Corinthians 10:31 would say whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, just in case he missed one, do it for the glory of God. So I want to look at this this word spiritual worship. In the Greek, uh, the word spiritual it translates into I'm going to give this a shot, lagias. Okay, that's about a 70% chance that's actually pronounced correctly. But that is the word, and it's an adjective, and it literally means logical. So what this is saying, let me read this again. I appeal to you, I'm begging, I'm urging you, therefore, brothers, by the gospel, by the mercies of God, to now present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your logical response of worship. I read that and I had to stop reading. I had to like go take a run. Not just kidding. That's a joke. But I had to go to Starbucks and drink some coffee and think, what in the world? Well, that's so funny about that. I've run a couple times in my day. <clears throat> anyway, back to it. And so it's logical reason. We need to understand the depth of the gospel that it would make no sense to do anything but Worship God. I heard one amen. We'll try it again. If we understand the depth of the gospel, then it would make no sense to do anything else but worship God. And so then by these mercies, by the the gospel, then this is what informs us on the entirety of biblical worship. The logical response then to God's gospel. So when I got to this point in my prep, I thought, well, that puts me in a tough spot. Because as I confessed earlier, and when I read Colossians 1, where it says, in all things Christ is preeminent, I was convicted. Because because it says that we're, we're prone to wonder. We begin placing worth on other things besides Christ. 
Jesus Christ came to pay the price that you could never pay so that through him you may have life. It's important that we understand the implications of this because, again, if we don't understand the weight of our sin, then we'll never understand the value and and the gloriousness, is that a word, of his grace. So let me give you an analogy here. Um, So imagine you have a guy and a girl, okay, and they're dating and it's this beautiful thing and uh, you guys know what it's like and so... Imagine this, this woman, this, this girl, has chosen then to, to protect her purity from marriage, okay? Which is, which is great. And, and the guy, let's say, unfortunately, didn't do so. And it was later in life where he was like, man, that would have been a great idea. But it happened, right? And so they're, they're dating and it's good. And they get to a point in the relationship where they begin to share their stories with each other. And so he's, he's worried because he knows that this girl has, has protected herself and, and pursued purity, protected her heart in that. And so he's going to have to tell her, like, you know, that, that, is, that is a beautiful thing. But unfortunately, I, I can't give that back to you. So two things could happen at this point. The girl could say, well, you're a great guy. I appreciate that. But. I'm going to go find someone who did. Now, that, that's a lot. I mean, it's fair, right? I mean, okay. But the other response is this. The girl could say, well, I appreciate your honesty, but, but I'm going to love you through that. I'm going to forgive, and, and I'm going I'm to look past that and continue in this relationship. Now, at that point, be honest. That dude just understood grace in a way that is, is unmatched, Right? So it's the same thing with God. When we understand that, that he, he actually... Here's the thing. We say this a lot in church. I want to make sure we actually get this. Jesus actually came and actually died so we can actually have life through him. This isn't something that we made up to make us feel good. It's truth. The Bible says it. Core value. We believe it. Truth. So the Bible says that if we confess with our mouth and believe in our hearts that God raised him, Jesus, from the dead, we will be saved. Romans 10, 9. All of these verses are things that the people who would have heard Romans 12 would have also heard. So it's making more of this case for Christ of of Jesus is the only way. It doesn't stop there. This then now begins this process of what's called sanctification. And so there's another shun for you. There's three shuns today. Justification, sanctification, and glorification. And so, like we said earlier, in Romans 10, 9, it says, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's justification. You confess that just as if you've never sinned. You're seen as that by God through Christ. Sanctification, then, is this process of life after until we're glorified with Christ in the end. Glorification. So, so as a Christian, now we're in this process of sanctification. And sanctification is this journey for our joy. So we'll read on. Verse 2. Romans 12, verse 2. It says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, 
what is good and acceptable and perfect. The NIV reads, uh, we read from the ESV, so that's why it may look a little different in your Bibles, but the NIV says this, it says, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world. Ephesians 2 uses the same verbiage, it says, while following the ways of this world. And so what this infers is that there's two lifestyles then to live. There's a lifestyle of, of the world and there's a lifestyle of worship. So you can follow the ways of the world, and it may last for a minute, but uh, I heard this once. He said that sin always will overpromise and always will underdeliver. So it can look good from our perspective, but in the grand scheme of things, it may not be beneficial or as good as Christ. Nothing is as good as Christ. But So again, in Romans, it starts off, Romans one twenty eight. it says, And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God. I think I have this on a slide. Romans one twenty eight, Boom. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not be done. The word debased means to reduce the quality or value, to lower, to lower the moral character of. So the reality is that even though we have Christ in our heart, this is important to know, we still live in the same broken world. And we still deal with the same broken circumstances. Even though we have the hope of Christ in our heart. And it is by the grace of God that help us resist and renew our minds from these debased teachings. See, the world will try to threaten us with the base teachings of God. And it is by the tools and things that he gives us to renew our mind daily that we, we begin to see more of his character. So I was reading this, I'm thinking, well, what's the significance of the pattern? Why, I mean, why say pattern? Well, patterns are, are, are continuous cycles, right? Red, green, blue. Red, green, blue. Red, green, blue. This is a pattern. It's a continuous cycle. One, two, three, one, two, three, whatever. Paul says, don't be conformed or give in to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's literally to, to break the pattern. So the question is, well, well, how do we do that, right? I mean, practically, then what does that look like? If I want to live a life of worship, then how then do I renew my mind? Well, I'm so glad you asked that question because I'm going to give you about four things real quick that help us in this. So the first one is this, that God gives us his word. And we learned last week that his word is what? truth. And so he gives us his word then to exemplify his character, to teach us more of who Christ is and, and how God came to redeem and restore all things back to himself, reconciliation. And there's a whole lot of good stuff in here. And so his word is just one tool that he gives for us to renew our minds. Another is, is doctrinally sound songs. Now, here's the fun part of the message. So worship, 
and churches can, there's this time of, of worship, right? Worship time, worship songs, worship leader. Um, and it's true. It's a form, music is a form of worship. But I want to clarify that at LifePoint, we don't believe that this is the only time that we worship God through songs. Because we would even say in our verbiage here from the stage that, that even giving is worship. Because we're, like financially, I mean. Because we're giving our, our body, even our time. We're giving our time and our, our resources and, and our energies to things. That is worship. Presenting our bodies, everything that we have to God. Because it's logical response to His mercies and His grace. And so, so music is good. Being a worship leader, I want to say that. Worship is good. <laughs> but it's not the end. It's not the climax, not the pinnacle of our worship. It can be an experience of, but if it's all you got, then let's have a conversation and we'll talk about Jesus some more and, and he'll start to infiltrate other areas of your life. And so I'm going to be bold and say that, so as leadership, we walk through weekly the songs that we choose to sing here on Sundays because we believe that, here's, I mean, here's the thing. You're not, you're not going to walk out the door and start humming a line of, of Eric's sermon. To whatever tune you have. You're, if you're going to hum something, you're going to hum a song. And so it's, it's, it's key. And we believe it's incredibly important that the songs that we sing point back to Christ. Because if we're singing songs that just make us feel good. Then to be honest, I believe as, as a worship, I believe that we are failing you as leadership. Like music makes us feel good. And there's songs that Christian radio stations play that are good songs. But if we're not teaching the gospel through music on a Sunday morning, then we are failing you. And so we take doctrine and teaching very seriously. From when it comes from Eric teaching or from Bill or whoever's teaching, from songs to even scripture when we read. We take it very seriously because we, we know and we understand and we believe that in all things Christ is preeminent. And we want to show that to be true. And so keep me accountable in that. I, I, I encourage you, if you ever sing a song and you're like, show me where Jesus is in that song. Then I should be able to sit down and do so. Now there's songs that we can sing that maybe don't say Jesus that that do talk about his character, but, but then we would, we would teach you how that song is related to Christ. Because, this is bold. I know you guys love me. Hear me. Because there are songs that we've deemed as worship songs that I can sing to my fiance and no one will know it's written about Jesus. And, and we can sing love songs to Christ, but if it's, it has to be taught that we're singing it to Christ because there's songs that we've sing that can be sung to other religions' gods because it has no depth of doctrine or gospel. And so here at LifePoint, we don't want to do that. We want to teach the gospel through music, everywhere and every way. Is that cool? Can we do that? That's good because we do that anyway. So, <laughs> Number three, community. And so next week... Uh, that's the next core value is community. And so Bill will be teaching, is Bill teaching on community? Bill's teaching on community. And so um, excited about that. I love that man. I love Eric. Um, let me just say this from, from a, a perspective of being in the background scene, like the day to day in the office, like, like the leadership at LifePoint really do love you. 
really do pray diligently and continuously for you to see Christ. It's not just a show that we put on. It's, it's true. Like We want you to see Christ because we believe that, that He is all that you need in every circumstance. And so, so next week, he's going to talk about community. And so God created community. I won't steal your thunder, but I'll say this. God created community. In the beginning, God creates man to commune with him. And then creates woman to be a helper to man because he said it is not good for man to be alone. And so he puts him to a sleep and then he wakes up and he looks over his shoulder and he says, whoa, man. And then there was a woman and it stuck woman. (laughs) And so God created us to be in community. And it is key that in community, it's where we come to share and to learn and to see how God is moving through others because it is an encouragement to the body. And so in my life group, and I know others, we've talked about stories all the time. There are things happening at this church. Let me say this. You need to hear this. There are things happening at this church and this community with these people, with our God, that is incredible. All around the city. I live in St. Charles. There's two in O'Fallon. People come from all over because, because God is moving here. And so get in a community, get in a life group and live life with one another because it's important. Because God created it. God didn't create us to do this thing on our own. He created us for community. I'm not trying to yell at you, even though I am. It's, it's important that we get that. So come back next week and hear Bill talk about community. The final thing I'll say today is teaching. How do we renew our minds? Well, well we, listen to, we can come on Sundays and listen to teachings. Sound doctrine. A holistic view of the gospel, the Bible, the the, the truth. Acts 2, 42 would say that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. God gives us tools. And these are things we try to do on Sundays even. We'll come and we'll sing praises. We'll, we'll exemplify Christ through the scriptures. We'll fellowship. Sometimes we'll have communion. Then we'll go out to eat maybe and break bread with one another and, and community. Because it's important, these things are important to renew our mind, to remind us that, that God is in fact supreme. And so, and so this leads us then to the next, to, to the testing. I hated tests in school. That's a side note. But it brings us to testing because it's by testing that we begin to see that Jesus is in, is in fact the truth. You can't figure out anything about something until it's been tested. I can say Jesus is truth, but until, until that thought is, is tested in your mind, then Jesus becomes, to be, he, he becomes preeminent in your life. But it's not until testing that that happens. I'm not saying test God. I'm saying test circumstances to see God in them. And so the fact is that as our lives change, as we renew our mind, it goes back to this word, this process of sanctification. That, that God begins to reveal to us things that we place above him. And then we begin to, to take heart checks and work to kill these things. Because we believe that God is worth all of our worship if we understand the gospel. And so to renew our minds literally means to take old from new. It's a process. I, to be honest, I wish it happened overnight. And there may be some things that do, but... But the majority of things in life, it's a process that we go through, this journey. 
Colossians 3, 1 through 17 talks about God gives us a new heart. Colossians 2, uh, 3, 2 says that we set our mind then on things above. It is by this testing we begin to see the truth and, and that only he remains. And so we'll go on. Verse 2. It says, by the renewal of your mind, so that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. God is faithful. Hear that. God is faithful. And so he says that he'll never leave. He'll never forsake. He he wants us to, to press into him because he's enough. He'll never leave or forsake. He is faithful. And so these are things we need to begin to put into practice the things that we see in God's word. The word discern. In the Greek, it literally means to find worth in. So as things get difficult or hard, we, we press into Jesus and trust that he is indeed faithful like he says. And then in the end, it reveals to us that in, in fact he is. says that as we begin to trust, we, we press into Christ and we trust the will of God, not the will of man, not the things that we conjure up, but the things that Christ promises through his word. And so Romans 2, or 12, 2 says that the will of God is good and acceptable and perfect. So we press into Jesus, he stands firm, and it is by these mercies now that we press on. I say mercies a lot, but again, it, we have to understand that it's by these mercies, it's by these truths, because we, we need hope in this world, and Jesus is our hope. And so through him, through these mercies, now we, it only makes sense to worship. Exodus seven sixteen it says, Then say to him, O Lord, the God of the Hebrews has sent me to say to you, Pharaoh, let my people go so that they may worship me in the wilderness. Wait, what? Yes, indeed. They will worship me in the wilderness. Interesting. So you know the story. The story goes on. Pharaoh finally lets him go, right? And they lead him down. They're going through, the, going through this, this time and they hit the Dead Sea. And, and then they turn around to the leader and they say, you've led us astray. Like it's a dead end. They're going to come get us now. And God is what? Faithful, provides a way that they couldn't even comprehend or understand. And, and literally the waters apart and they pass through. And now 40 years in the desert. That sounds fun. The thing, what's interesting about this as I'm reading is that 40 years to eternal everlasting God is like a blink of an eye. If that. So for us, 40 years is like half our life. Maybe some extra years on the end. If we run and don't drink Starbucks, just kidding. But, but 40 years to them, like what, what happens in the story? They begin to idolize everything else but God. They build idols and start worshiping these things. They forget what God has done and they begin to worry about what is to come. One of the things that Bill, he, uh, he challenged me to do, which was really good for me. 
He challenged me to create this thing called uh, a, thanks, a thankfulness journal. And what this is, is um, when, when God does something epic or he provides financially for me that I didn't expect, I write this down in this journal, thankfulness journal. I would encourage you to do this. So that when times get difficult, and I don't think that my bills are going to get paid, I look back and see how God provided. And I look back on his goodness. Hindsight's always twenty twenty, right? We look back and see, oh, God did in fact provide. But instead we look forward and we think like we get stuck in this pattern of the world telling us that God's not enough for us. And so we get in this, this vacuum cycle of, of thought. What Paul's saying is don't, don't conform to these patterns of thinking, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, knowing that God is faithful and he is enough. And it is by that grace of the gospel that we worship him. So things haven't changed much from back in Exodus to now. We continue to still, when we hit a dead end, we continue just to go to God and say, God, I need your help. And then by his grace, he helps. And then we're like, thanks a lot. And we keep walking. And then we hit another dead end trying to do it in ourselves. And we go back to him, God, I need your help again. And he, if he's gracious, he gives us help. And then we can like, okay, cool. And I keep walking. And so that's our pattern. That's our cycle says, don't be conformed to this pattern, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That our lives would point to Christ everywhere and every way. Because he is, in fact, enough. And so to be a gospel-centered church, it sounds, sounds too simple, but the gospel must be the center. Jesus must be the center. Renewing our minds in the things of Christ helps us put Christ in the center. And out of that, our expression is worship, whether it's through giving time, finances, uh, your, your abilities to serve, whatever it is. We begin to do so because, because we believe that God is faithful. And so it's by these mercies that we worship, even in our trials. I want to close with this. You guys are like, praise God. No, I want to close with this. This this imagery of of a man restoring a car. Um, I have a friend who who spent a lot of money once on this this chunk of metal that he called a car. I don't know. It was like a something, 60-something. I don't know. Anyway, he brought it back home. And he begins this process, this relentless process of restoration to restore it back to be beautiful, right? So he takes this mess, he begins to work on this thing, and his goal then is to turn this mess into a masterpiece. And so, so he takes this thing called a, uh, uh, a grinder, I don't know, I don't know tools, but he takes this thing, I'm going to call it a grinder, and he puts this grinding pad, a buffer, that's what it was, and he puts a grinding pad on it. And he begins to press into the hood. Now, the hood has all of this rust and decay, and it's disgusting. And I'm like, good luck with that. And he begins to press into this hood and begins to grind out the impurities. And, well, what, what happens? What's underneath the rust? If you've ever restored... Keith, what's underneath rust? Good stuff. And so he begins to press into the hood of the car. And then after all of these hours and sweat... 
the beauty begins to emerge. Well, I, w- I want to end by saying God is in the business of restoration. And you're like, well, how, what does that have anything to do with worship? Because it's important that we realize and remember that as we continue on in life and things get difficult, we look back at the grace that God gave and offered on a sacrifice of the cross. And that's where we find hope. So God desires for us to present our bodies, our whole selves, as a living sacrifice, as worship. And it's our core value. So that in everything we do, everywhere and every way, in the good, the bad, the hard, the ugly, we present our bodies as a living sacrifice because of the gospel. So I hope today I said Jesus and mercy and gospel enough where it sparks something in you. Some of you guys may have never heard of the gospel. And if you haven't, then I really hope that you'll, you'll seek someone out and ask more questions. And some of you have heard it so many times that we're numb to it. And the gospel is this thing that we grew up with, but it, it, hasn't, it hasn't infiltrated our lives yet. You can know a lot about the gospel, but it's, it's, it's a, the difference between the heart and the head that matters. And so we need to believe and press into the gospel to then see change happen through Christ only. And so my encouragement today is that, is that you would pursue that. That we would pursue to see the mercies of God in all circumstances. That our logical response then would be to worship the holy God because he and he alone is worthy of our worship. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you, in fact, are worthy of our worship. God, worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Holy, holy is He. God, we we sing a new song for Him who sits on, on heaven's seat. God, you are worthy of our worship. So, Father, I ask and I pray I pray that you would continue to unveil our our eyes and our minds. God, continue to show us more of your character. As we begin to press into you, God, that you would stand firm as you've promised, showing us, God, that you are, in fact, faithful. Father, we love you. We praise you. We pray, God, in this place, in this church, God, that you would be made famous because you are.